0: Hebrews chapter 13, verses 18 through 25. This will be the last sermon in the series through the book of Hebrews. You remember last, last week we looked at verses 20 and 21, which is the benediction that occurs at the end of the book of Hebrews. But surrounding those verses are these sort of miscellaneous verses in which the author of Hebrews uh, wraps up his letter and we'll be considering those verses today, verses 18 through 19 and then verses 22 to 25. Consider the community of Christ, the communion of the saints, as you hear now the very word of God from Hebrews 13 beginning in verse 18. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this, so that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, Even Jesus, our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. But I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly, take notice that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom, if he comes... Soon, I will see you. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Let's take just another moment to pray. Holy Spirit, come to us now. It's always exciting for us to realize that so many hundreds of years ago you inspired the writer of the word of god to write what is written but that you who inspired this word to be written long ago are present and active with us right here so that this isn't merely the god-breathed word of god but is the god-breathing word of god breathe into our lives with the truths that we find here in your word transform us as we consider What you have to say, in Jesus' name we ask, amen. It may not have occurred to you, but something happens in our text for today that hasn't yet happened in the book of Hebrews. Coming through all of the different verses and chapters of Hebrews, chapters 1 through 13, we have a new occurrence in these final verses. And it sort of stands out and maybe will stand out to you once I mention it if you're not on to it already. But it's very fascinating that it is only in these final verses that the human author of the book of Hebrews refers explicitly to himself, It isn't until verse 19 of the last chapter, Hebrews 13, that you hear the author say, I, referring explicitly to himself, I urge you all the more to do this so that I may be restored to you the sooner. And then jumping down, To verse 22, you see the word I again. I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Take notice that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom, if he comes soon, I will see you. And there might be a lesson just in that, that the glory of Christ and the significance of what he is doing in a community of believers is such that we don't necessarily get to me, myself, and I. We are overwhelmed with the glory of Jesus Christ and ought to fill chapter after chapter about that glory and speak about all the ways in which Christ is building up his community here on earth of brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, which is his church, and makes up the first 13 chapters of the book of Hebrews. Maybe that's a lesson in itself, that we should defer mention of I until the end and be mindful to be sparing with mention of ourselves. But I think what's fascinating here is the juxtaposition that you have and the way that use of the word I at the end is really, if you're honest, tantalizing. It brings you so close to who the author is. You know, in the letters of the Apostle Paul, he says, I, Paul. And you know it's the Apostle Paul because he's said his name. Whereas here you have I, and it kind of leaves you hanging. You're desperate for him to fill in the blank. Who is it? Who is this I who is speaking? And you've noticed this throughout the sermon series on the book of Hebrews, that over and over I'll say the ultimate author of Hebrews, the Holy Spirit, or the human author of Hebrews, but it's always saying that instead of a proper name because after working through the entire book and asking this question pretty much my whole life, I am still at the conclusion that we do not know who wrote the book of Hebrews. And it is therefore tantalizing to hear that author get so close to saying who he is by saying I, and then even by Dropping another name, Timothy. Take notice that our brother Timothy has been released. If he comes soon, I will see you. So he's got plans. He apparently knows his audience. He apparently knows Timothy, to which other letters of the New Testament is written. But that's as close as you get. It's tantalizing, but the author remains anonymous. And that's the juxtaposition that I want you to look at with me this morning. We have here in these concluding verses of the book of Hebrew, Hebrews community and anonymity. And they kind of contrast in interesting ways. A community is interesting in that it's it's known, it's identified, it's distinct from the world around it. It has a name. We can call it many different things, but the church will do. The community of the saints, brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. The community as identified from the world, which has come up over and over and over throughout this passage. We've read not I, which we only get to in these final verses, but we or us Signifying to us so much of what goes on each Sunday morning where you have the word of God being read to you and all of us together, the reader of the word of God, the preacher of the word of God, along with those who are reading the word of God and hearing the preaching of the word of God, make up the us, the we, the assembly, the gathering, the church, the community of saints, the brothers and sisters. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. The community. And we have lessons in these final verses. Concerning that community. That the author has been concerned with. Throughout the 13 chapters of Hebrews. And the first thing we see. In verse 18. Is the author saying. Pray for us. Pray for us. Boy that is so humbling to stop and and realize that a man who is writing one of the great books of the New Testament, a man with theological understanding and precision, who is serving as a leader in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in that first century, would say, pray for us. No sense of having arrived and being perfect and complete and not needing the prayers of the saints to which the letter is written. No sense of arrogance, no pomposity, no sense of uh, worldly confidence. But instead the author saying to the original audience of the book of Hebrews, pray for us. I think a very clear takeaway here for me is for me to simply say the same thing to you. Pray for us. Look at the church and how the Lord has organized it, how he has provided leadership, pastors, elders, deacons. Pray for us. Look at the work of the deacons. Look at the work of the elders. Look at the work of the pastors, Pastor James, Pastor John. Pray for us. Even if we were inspired by the Holy Spirit, we would need for you to pray for us. Pray for us. We don't contend against mere flesh and blood, but our living in spiritual warfare that's real we believe that we believe there's a real devil real spiritual forces in the heavenly places and a real good god with jesus christ at the right hand of the throne of god the father almighty who is king who is ruling and leading and all of us each one of us by being members of this community brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, by being saints, holy ones, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, are engaged to one level or another in spiritual warfare, as the original author of Hebrews was. Pray for us. Pray for us. And as we consider how appropriate that simple request is, I want you to really look at these verses and be able to, in a sense, transpose it onto where we are today, even this very moment as you sit here this morning. It, it, it just stands out to me so much that, you know, here you have this letter of Hebrews written almost 2,000 years ago, just centuries after centuries ago, after the Lord Jesus Christ ascended up into heaven and it's written to a church, and it, it looks like what we have here this morning. It doesn't feel antiquated or old at all. It's fresh. It's green. It's the living word of God. Now look, look at what the author says. "'Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things.'" I don't need to interview every elder and deacon to know that that is exactly what they would want you to pray for. That's what we labor over. That's what we deliberate. That's why there's so many meetings in church life, not meetings for meeting's sake, but meetings to get together and say, how do we lead through this situation in a way in which we have a good conscience, conducting ourselves honorably, in all things that's why there's so many meetings that's why there's deacons meetings every month and session meetings every month and special session meetings around those monthly session meetings that's why your elders are constantly speaking to one another going back to the word of god and saying to you all pray for us pray that we might have a good conscience pray that we might conduct ourselves honorably in all things Pray that we might be genuine, that our lives might reflect the word of God that we are calling you to live according to. Pray that we might be men of grace who rejoice in these assurances of pardon that are served to you each Lord's Day and bring the forgiveness of that assurance to your lives. it's appropriate to stop and think about how earth shattering the book of hebrews was in the first century an author saying leave everything from the rituals of the old testament it's fulfilled in the lord jesus christ don't go back to the temple no need for any more animal sacrifices forever leave behind you that merely human priesthood because now you have the great high priest jesus christ himself so it's important for the author to say, "I'm not just making this stuff up. I'm not calling you to some mere novelty, but infidelity to the Word of God and allegiance to the Holy Spirit with a good conscience with conduct that is honorable. Calling you to exalt Jesus Christ as Lord. Worship God in a way that is befitting now of the New Testament. And pray for us. And you see so many elements of the Christian community in these verses. You look and see something beautiful in verse 19. The author, even though we don't know who he is, Um, The original recipients very obviously did and he wants to be restored To the people that the letter is written to that I might be restored to you sooner Pray that I might be restored to you Then we see a little bit more color around that in verse 23 where our brother timothy is mentioned as being released probably from prison and the author the human author's intent to come to the original audience soon if he's able to come with Timothy and there's more than that look at verse 24 greet all your leaders you know take take the elders and the deacons of this church aside and and greet them and and not just the leaders all the saints and you know what those from italy greet you isn't this remarkable isn't this parallel to what we experience here it's like you know you get the the monthly periodical new horizons and you read about the mission activities and the home mission activities and it might not be explicit but it's very in various ways reminding you that you're not just part of this local church you're a part of the catholic the universal church the same church that the original audience of the book of Hebrews was a part of. So it's significant to hear those from Italy greet you. It's significant to read about missionaries across the United States and missionaries in foreign lands. It's significant to hear the author of Hebrews write into a church that is full of sinners like me and you and say to them, Brethren, is that remarkable not rotten sinners but brothers and sisters in the lord jesus christ children of the king of kings and the lord of lords you who are united to jesus christ our elder brother on him who he's already stated is not ashamed to call you brothers and sisters Greet all the saints. Revolutionary. Look around you and see holy ones. If you look at their own track record, if you look at their own personality and quirks. You'll see sin. This is, you know, the number one complaint about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Full of hypocrites. And we don't really need to be thrown by that criticism. We can own it. Yes, yes, in myself, by myself, by my sinful self, I'm a hypocrite. there's this awesome thing. It's called good news. Jesus Christ is the great high priest. He made full atonement for all my sins, including the sins of hypocrisy. And while I don't necessarily see a sinless saint when I look at other people, or when I look at myself, when I look in the New Testament, I see an author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit looking at the church and saying, Brothers and sisters, saints, holy ones, washed, cleansed, justified, purified. If you just allow your mind to go back over the 13 chapters that we've looked at, I, th- I think it's breathtaking it, it, it's exciting it makes my heart leap inside of me it, you look at it and it, it's just it's unparalleled there's nothing else like this we're, we're reading it almost 2,000 years after it was written and, and you look at what the author says I urge you brethren bear with this word of exhortation in verse 22 what are you doing right now almost 2,000 years later. What are you doing but bearing with a word of exhortation? Isn't that remarkable? And then he refers to the whole you know, chapter, I mean the whole book uh, I've written to you briefly, and you know, if we just read the 13 chapters of Hebrews, it would probably take about an hour, so it is relatively brief even though it's taken this exhorter you know, almost four years to get through it. But it should stand out to you that you are here bearing with this word of exhortation. And you are a community like this original community to which the book was written. And you are right now hearing from the Holy Spirit through the word of God, which was once delivered to this original audience of the Hebrews. And what has that word of exhortation been? The author, in various ways, saying, I know it's attractive to go back to the Old Testament, but you have something so far better. You have Jesus Christ. He has come in the flesh. He has completed his mission. He went to the cross. He's not just the high priest, but he's the sacrifice. He made full atonement for your sins. The sacrifice to satisfy divine justice, which means no more need for animal sacrifices. He's the once-for-all sacrifice in himself on the cross. You worship at that altar. You survey the wondrous cross. And you see that there the Prince of Glory died for your sake. And you celebrate that once-for-all effective sacrifice that did What the blood of animals could never do. And you see in that Savior, the great high priest, who is God and yet man, the mediator, who has entered into the sorrow and affliction of this world and suffered and was tempted. So that he can relate to you as the great high priest. So that he can draw near to you. So that he can understand your tears having wept himself. And it is messages about this great high priest who was the sacrifice to satisfy divine justice that has drawn this community together to hear this word of exhortation. And it has been messages about that once-for-all sacrifice, messages about the great high priest, Jesus Christ, who reigns from the right hand of God the Father Almighty. It has been messages about him that has drawn you together as a community of Christ. It's why we're here, isn't it? We celebrate the good news. We worship God for the good news. We bear with a word of exhortation so that it draws us back all over again to Jesus Christ and this entire community that we are a part of. It's because of what Jesus Christ did while here on earth and what he continues to do from heaven, drawing people To the efficacy of his atonement, to the perfection of his sacrifice, and reminding us that he is not in any way absent from our lives, though he is at the right hand of God the Father. He always lives to make intercession for us, the author of Hebrews has told us. He knows your needs, he brings them before God the Father. He intercedes on your behalf. And he says, when you come to me, it's not a throne of judgment because you are a brother and sister in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a holy one. So for me, when you come to God, the Father Almighty, it is not a throne of judgment, but a throne of grace. The community of which you are a part as a member of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, identified, known, Distinct from the world in which it is. It all contrasts with this juxtaposition of, of, of anonymity. And I want you to really appreciate that. I, I know this is a, a slightly different context, but I think there's an application here. Jesus Christ, when he was on earth, Preaching at the Sermon on the Mount, said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men, to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray... Go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus saying, anonymity, being nameless, not getting the credit. Isn't it remarkable? At the end of each movie, you see like credits, the credits roll. What is that? naming all the names involved with the production of the movie so that they get the credit, the credits. The end of the book of Hebrews, as masterful as it is, the author, the human author, is unknown, unnamed, unattributed. He doesn't get the credit. The credits don't roll. It leaves us in this place where we can give all the glory to God through working by the Holy Spirit and providing, who is to us an anonymous author and wrote these 13 fantastic chapters of Christology to a church that we profit from now as a church. And I believe that is so appropriate for us, even even especially on, on Father's Day. Not fame, not fortune, not the credit. Unnamed. Anonymous. The author of Hebrews who played a role in God's kingdom, writing one of the great books of the New Testament, a book that is still feeding the people of God today, but so to speak had done it in a closet in the prayer closet and it gets no acknowledgement as far as his name is concerned still anonymous to us such an application for each of you yes we're a community known identified distinct from others but you don't need fame and fortune in serving the lord your god look at what the lord did through the author of hebrews Look at what he's continuing to do through this human author of Hebrews who is completely nameless. Transpose that onto you and your life and your circumstance and all the different realms of your responsibility. You don't need the credit. You don't need the fame. You don't need the fortune. You don't need to be looked at and esteemed by the world around you. You don't need to value what the world values. You can pray in secret give yourself for those around you regardless of who gets the credit. All of the work that you do as a father of your home, if you never receive thanks for it at all, press on in doing it. Look at what the nameless author of Hebrews accomplished without getting the credit while uh, remaining anonymous. And if you're really honest, I, I know it feels good to get the credit. I, I know that. There's something about us is wired that way, and I don't, I don't even think it's wrong. But if you're really honest, as a Christian, isn't it glorious to know this? That generations come and generations go, and people's names are learned for a while, but then forgotten? but that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever as we've learned from the book of Hebrews, that he is exalted, that we who are going into anonymity can use our lives here to exalt Jesus Christ who will be worshipped forever and ever and ever, and that he is worthy of worship, that he is sinless, that he is holy, harmless, and undefiled as we have learned from the book of Hebrews. That he's not a celebrity in the sense of which we think that he didn't dedicate his life to selfish ambition, fame, and fortune, but served, sacrificed, died, and then rose again because he was completely perfect. Isn't it glorious to devote your life to exalting him through worship and knowing that he who is worthy of all credit, he is worthy of all of being named will receive worship accordingly from for all eternity through the community that He has established. Brothers and sisters, holy ones, saints, as you go forth into this week, hopefully, intentional, deliberate. Conscious of the fact that you are called to be a brother, that you are called to be a sister to the other people of this Christian community, this church. You are called to weep with those who weep. You are called to be the body of Christ. Holy ones who mirror their sympathetic high priest who is interceding for us even now. Grace be with you all. Amen.